Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneer's Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. Welcome to Fit for the Future, a Pioneer's Post podcast created and co-hosted with our partners at Buzzacott Accountants. In this series, we talk to some of the stars of social enterprise and mission-driven businesses and explore what it means to build a healthy, resilient, sustainable organization that's able to do good and well at the same time. Welcome, everyone. My name is Anna Patton. I'm the managing editor at Pioneers Post, and I'm here with Eddie Finch, partner at Buzzacott Accountancy Firm and a specialist in social enterprise and charity finance. Hi. And our special guests today are Zoe Portlock, co-founder and chair of the award-winning social enterprise Bikeworks. Hi. And Tej Dami, managing director of the Change Coefficient, which advises clients on social impact and investment. Hi, guys. So previously in this Fit for the Future series, we've explored crisis management and what it means to raise the right finance. This time, we're looking at another topic that links to both of those, and that's risk and financial sustainability. That can sound quite dry and serious in a way, but as we'll hear, it can actually be quite nerve-wracking stuff, and getting it right is really fundamental for social enterprises. So what we're interested in is, as auditors, we look at a lot of the statements that boards make about the risks that they're facing and how they manage those risks, as well as their assessments of their financial viability. And indeed, a lot of larger companies and and organisations like charities have to make statements in their formal annual reporting about those things, and we have specific obligations to look at them. But our concern really is that often the language and the methodology that uh, gets adopted and and imported from corporate reporting encourages a a finance-only kind of focus in in looking at risk, uh, just avoiding adverse financial events. And and an approach more closely linked to maximising impact can sometimes be a lot more productive. Uh, One example is maybe in in accessible finance, uh, instead of simply not lending to people without credit records, if you were looking at uh, your impact first, you might think about different ways of assessing people's ability to manage and and service debt, for example. And that example illustrates uh, something else, which is that it's not just the organisations in the sector, but it's also the providers of finance that need to think about risk in a way that's appropriate to the objectives of, of social business. So with all that in mind, we're really delighted to have our guests with us. who have got a, a wealth of experience in both operating and, and uh, str- strategic issues uh, for social businesses and the world of, of, of financing those organisations. So to get started, Zoe, we'd love to hear from you. Can you briefly just introduce, tell us a bit about Bikeworks and, and what its mission is? Sure. At Bikeworks, we address inequalities in our London communities And we do this using the bicycle as a tool for social good. Our core mission is about focusing on the inclusion of isolated and vulnerable people. So a great example of this is our free to access cycling clubs, where we engage 3,000 disabled people and their carers uh, every year. Bikeworks actually has recently taken home the NatWest SE100 uh, Award for Resilience. Um, So congratulations on your award. One of the reasons you got that was because you pivoted your business model quite significantly over the past year from cycle training to also doing lots more things like delivery services and making use of social prescribing and things like that. But I'd love to hear from you just what we're talking about sustainability. What what does financial sustainability mean to you as a leading resilient social enterprise in the UK? Um, I think In a nutshell, if we look at resilience and financial sustainability uh, and the connection between, you know, we know resilience is generally described as the ability to bounce back 
um, how you're able to get quickly back up, dust yourself down. Um, for social entrepreneurs, resilience, I think, must be about rethinking the problem. That's what's really in our DNA. Here's a social problem. What are we going to do about it? And ultimately, what is the solution? To do this, resilience, I think, requires you to have that ability to reframe problems. Um, instead of seeing these as walls that block your journey, you see them as part of the course to be expected not to be avoided. Um, because I think it's at times like these that you grow and develop as a person, um, particularly as a social entrepreneur, or indeed as an organisation, so as a social enterprise, when you're working through difficult problems and decisions. To do this time after time, uh, you really do need to have that strong sense of purpose. And I think it's fair to say in our sector, a whole lot of passion as well. But ultimately, to be driven by your purpose is really important. I think if we take the example of bike works in week one of pandemic, um, our ambition for that year ahead was very much centred on the Tokyo Paralympic Games. Uh, we were founded as an East London social enterprise from London, winning the hosting rights for the London uh, 2012 Paralympic Games. So it was only right we'd have a vision and a strategy that framed that for 2020. So we had this really exciting plan in place, budget signed off by the board, poised in our starting blocks, uh, excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> and then it all happened, uh, literally, you know, feeling nice and shiny. And uh, the, the Boris statement came out and suddenly it was week one lockdown all our secured revenue was wiped off our budget sheet um, for us um, that was our corporate team building challenges our adult cycle training contracts and courses that the general public pay for all of these were gone um, and these are the profit margins that ultimately we use to fund our mission the reason we exist uh, we we imploded um, and then we said okay what are we going to do about it? Where's the opportunity? Where's our purpose during the pandemic? So I think if we connect resilience with financial sustainability of a social enterprise, whose actions and purpose are about balancing what we know is the triple bottom line. And remember, to be a social business, I don't think we can separate uh, finance and social impact from one another. They come as partners. So it's about getting that balance right that drives sustainability for social businesses. And to do this, it's for you and your team to have a clear sight of your purpose and why you exist as a social enterprise. Tesh, your background includes uh, your career's ventured into what we might think of as sort of hardcore capitalism and social finance. And you've worked across a number of, of countries, uh, notably recently India. What I wonder is, is what your thoughts are on sustainability and risk, not just for organisations, but are there differences and different approaches that would encourage organisations to think about risk and sustainability in the right way that, that we can learn from different uh, different places about maybe? Yeah, so I think, Eddie, the kind of, for me, the definition of sustainability is getting the right product market fit, which is exactly what Zoe was describing and, and what sort of drove their bike work success over the last year. And, and that is the kind of fundamental definition of creating something that, that adds social value and is sustainable in a financial sense. The challenge to achieving that sustainability, I think, for lots of social enterprises is that that product market fit changes over time. So, you know, something that makes sense today doesn't necessarily meet the needs in kind of two, three years time. And what we tend to do as social enterprises is we find something that works and we kind of keep delivering it until we hit a wall. Part of the reason for that is because the biggest factor in being able to innovate is having time and the space to think 
talk to your stakeholders and talk to other market actors to, to understand how you can evolve, evolve things. And most social enterprises just don't have the bandwidth for that. And for me, one of the reasons that they don't have the bandwidth for that is because we don't have the right financing structures in place. So if you look at the UK, and this is quite different in the UK versus, um, say, India, where I was worked for many years, we have a lot of asset-locked entities that are delivering government contracts where they're not getting huge margins, if, if, if any margin at all. So their ability to invest in capacity that has that kind of free time to innovate, to think, to adapt products just doesn't exist. And then the, the kind of main source of external investment is either grants or loans, which is just not appropriate financing for this kind of thing. Conversely, in India, we have a lot more for-profit social enterprise that have a consumer-facing business model, and they find it much easier to raise equity investment. So you just see much more of a journey in India of kind of that innovation, that, that improvement in the product market fit. Um, so I think they're the kind of three things I would say that are, are limiting maybe sustainability in the UK. And going back to Zoe's analysis, that those things are are barriers that we need to find a way to navigate around. It sounds what one of the things you mentioned was asset locked entities, and and I guess there's big differences between the ones that historically have been lucky enough to build up some reserves, which act a bit like equity, uh, and those that haven't. But but also the lack of equity available to UK social businesses was something you you highlighted. Uh, do you think there are things out there that people could use more inventively that already exist? Or do you think uh, there's, a, there's just a huge gap in the way the UK finances businesses? Yeah, so I, th- I definitely think that from a financing perspective, we need to be a bit more creative about what we're funding. So we mentioned earlier the difference between a commercial venture and a social venture. They're poles apart, right? If you look at a listed company, they literally have a fiduciary responsibility to maximise shareholder profit. And aside from legal requirements around the environment and social um, you know, kind of support to employees, which, which isn't that high, there isn't that much else. Whereas most social enterprises, they're not just focused on delivering their mission. They're also focused on maximising value for all stakeholders. Um, so that includes looking after their employees, that includes looking after their funders. You know, it, it's a much more inclusive endeavour. And so when we narrow down the value just to the, the, the kind of reserves or the profit, it, it limits our scope. So I think we need to be a lot more creative. Um, and, and that's exactly what you're seeing with, with the kind of the change in environmental funding is that we're starting to internalise the negative externalities. But we've got a long way in the social sector to start internalising the positive externalities, which will give us the, the, the level of funding we need for the sector. The other thing that I would add is that it's not just about funding. I think it's also about a mindset and the support you have from those around you. So good governance is absolutely critical to sustainability. Having a board that, that spends time on strategic questions, that challenges the management team, that gets them to think forward to, you know, what does this look like in two, three years time, makes a huge difference. Because one of the biggest challenges we find in risk and sustainability is that, you know, we have these risk registers and we talk about these things that are kind of out there in the future, but the future comes very, very quickly. And then we don't have the time to adapt to them. And that's when enterprises end up going bust because they, they, they just don't have any alternative. And boards are incentivized to make sure that, if nothing else, that the enterprise is wound up solvently. Um, so, so good governance and that, that approach, I think, is really, really important. Just while we're, we're talking about risk registers, I'm interested to know what are the tools that, that people can use practically to manage risks? And are risk registers actually useful? Do you find organizations use them and use them properly? Or is there another way to do it that, that might work better? 
So as with anything, um, Anna, I think it comes down to the discipline with which you apply these things, right? So for some people, a risk register is a really, really useful tool because it forces them, you know, every quarter of their board meeting or however regularly they do it, to sit down and genuinely think about what are the risks that we're facing and what are the things that we need to, to mitigate them. What's not helpful is if it becomes just a document and a tick box exercise to say, we've done this, we've submitted it to, with our board papers and we're not going to have a conversation around it. So it, it's really about making sure that with your board and, and with your with your team, right? You know, we talk about social enterprises being for all stakeholders. And I think this is really, really important. These are conversations that shouldn't just be had at the most senior levels. They should be had across the organization because all of your team will have a really good sense of what are the changes on the ground, how they can improve their offering. You know, this should be things that we're all thinking about all the time, exactly as Zoe said, to make sure that we're maximizing value and constantly achieving our purpose. So it's it's about having those open conversations. It's about trust and being able to to have tough conversations that you know we might not like, but but actually together we can move forward in in a really constructive way. And and the tools that help you do that, they're really for for individuals to define for themselves. So instead of a risk register, it could be that you know you're going to have a meeting with your team once every quarter. Or you're going to have that conversation with the board and, and, you know, it's not going to be a conversation about risk. It's going to be a conversation around what are the trends that are affecting our sector? How do we think about these trends? So it's really about finding what works for you, but having that very, very open dialogue and not putting things off. That's And that's the hardest thing. And, and, and that is where I say that you need that spare capacity because this stuff takes thought. It is not easily done. It's not something that you can say, okay, well, there's an obvious trend and, and we're going to do X. It requires a lot of thought. And then that's, I think, where people fall down as opposed to not having the right tools. They just don't have the capacity to sit and have those um, conversations or sit and, and think things through. Zoe, what does Bikeworks do in that regard? Do you, what sort of tools do you have in place? How does the capacity thing work for you? Yeah, I mean, I would totally agree with what Ted is describing. Um, you know, when I'm thinking about risk and risk registers and the tools that we need to, to survive and thrive as a social enterprise, the idea of a big dusty ledger that gets hauled out for an, for an inspection, um, this is really more about the culture that you create and you create with your governance team as well, um, to have the tools to manage risk means having the right mix of skills and experts on your board. And as Ted rightly says, setting the right space outside of board meetings uh, to wrestle with the issues, to hear from one another. Uh, these are the areas that we really do overlook and we don't spend enough time investing in in space and the, the, the time to really think through in detail uh, these areas when we're talking about managing risk. So your board really needs to hold the strategy of the senior team, but the senior team also needs to provide the right balance of information. But to do that, the governance team, I think, also needs to understand um, how to ask the right questions and remembering that their role is not to manage as well. From our perspective, that's so important because we're guilty as auditors of being part of the machinery that makes sure everybody ticks the boxes and does the right things on paper. But certainly from our experience, it's... It's having the space for the proper conversations and, and exactly as you said, Zoe, for, for, for governance to be more about taking that step back and giving the strategic direction, uh, making decisions about how much risk is appropriate for an organisation to take, for example. But also, as, as Tesh said, I think it's it's a wider stakeholder thing, isn't it? I mean, you, you mentioned mindset in a few contexts there. 
and, and it's about bringing people together who've got the same objectives, the same mindset, and, and creating the environment for them to plan appropriately for, for the organisations they're in. But that does take a lot of time. And I, and I wonder whether in Bikeworks you have challenges creating that time for management and for, for governance, because governance is often a part-time activity. Yeah, absolutely, Eddie. Um, you know, the, the structure that we have at Bikeworks from a governance point of view, very similar to a lot in our sector, we just really mirror, um, you know, a, a charity structure. So our board ultimately, are like uh, trustees, they volunteer their time um, and have no, uh, there's no profiteering from anything that, that they're involved in. And so for us, that brings its own challenges around their time availability. And indeed, you know, there is a wider conversation here going forward if the sector is going to grow and really uh, make its mark moving forward, particularly this new world that we find ourselves in, which will be challenging socially and environmentally globally, is for the UK. Do we have the right types of structures available uh, with which social businesses and there is a, a real uh, array of different types of, of entities, large, small, uh, all doing very different things, uh, including, as uh, Tej described, you know, consumer facing and others. Um, and so I think we do need to look at, at the structures and, uh, and ultimately look at how we make a business case for investment in time allocated to those really important roles and if there's a different way of doing that. There's just one thing that I wanted to add that that's, I know is going to sound really obvious, but it's amazing how often this is missed. We're not always all on the same page, right? We, we, mm. we, we often assume that as, as stakeholders involved in an organisation that we have a common understanding of what that organization does, of the organization's markets, of its impact, of the challenges it faces on a day-to-day basis. And I think from a risk perspective and a good governance and a you know, managing change perspective, that's actually one of the most dangerous assumptions because I've worked with so many different stakeholders within organizations I've run, but also advising organizations where you get quite far into a conversation and you just realize that there is this gulf of understanding, um, which, you know, as Zoe says, is, is partly driven by the amount of time that can be allocated. But I think also sometimes it's a reflection of the way that we engage in these things. So quite often we're engaging in a very sort of presentation-like manner, and that doesn't allow for real engagement in, in the questions and the kind of, you know, getting deeper into to what's really going on. And also engagement isn't at every level of the organization so so people get a very very biased picture of, of the organization so i think that's something that's that's really really important in terms of culture is that you start off with a common understanding of, of what the organization does and its challenges and it doesn't have to be really difficult i mean a day with your trustees i know i know it's hard to find a day but a day is is more than enough to just work through all of those things Thanks for listening to part one of this Fit for the Future podcast. Head over to part two to hear the conversation continue as we discuss how attitudes to risk change as an organization grows, the kind of capital needed to finance innovation, why business risk may also be linked to the personal situation of a founder and what that means for diversity and inclusion, and the golden question, how and when to communicate concerns about financial sustainability to your board, staff and partners. See you there.